Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. to you. You know, without the resurrection, our faith would be in vain. After Jesus was crucified, there were no believers. No one was waiting around, counting down the hours to the moment he said, three days later, I will raise this temple. No one's waiting outside the tomb. The closest example we have of faithful believers are the women uh, who come with burial spices. So even they are expecting to have a dead body. What they discover is that the tomb is empty. In those days, what it meant that Jesus died was that it was game over. But here's the truth of Easter Sunday. Nobody expected nobody. The church began because there was no body in that tomb. It didn't begin because of the death of Jesus. It started because of the resurrection of Jesus. Our faith is not built on a book or a belief. Our faith is built on an event that happened in human history. Christianity stands or falls around the event that we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus, and He is risen. Let's pray together as we open our time in the Word this morning. Father, as we... uh, As we come together from all kinds of places, it's a comfort to know that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. That no matter how spread apart we are, we are still the family of God joined together in worship to you. You have heard our voices in concert together. You have heard our worship and experienced it and we pray it's been a beautiful aroma to you because we want you to get the glory today for the event that happened nearly 2,000 years ago where death was defeated. And our lives began in a new way because of this resurrection. We have hope even in this moment because of what you did in that, on that day so many years ago. God, I know a lot of us are lamenting and grieving and mourning the experience we're in right now. Some of us are lamenting and grieving for various reasons. And, and on Friday, we experienced that and spent time together online trying to direct our thoughts toward the cross. But today... After all this time of waiting, we celebrate the resurrection. So I pray today that you would enter back into our world with hope again today. That all of us who are worshiping together would would end our worshiping service, not ending our worship with the final prayer or the benediction. But we would end our service and we would continue our lives uh, sure of your resurrection. And sure of what that means for our resurrection that we hope for one day as well. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching. So that Christ would be formed in our hearts. 
And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, to begin this morning, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is, is the earliest report we have of the resurrection of Jesus. Now that might sound strange to you because we often think of the Gospels as the place to read about the resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of the resurrection of Jesus in various ways. But that's not actually the earliest report. See, the earliest Gospel was written, the Gospel of Mark, around 70 AD is the best guess we have. But the book of 1 Corinthians was a letter that was written by Paul all the way back in around 53 AD. So this report in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is the first written report we still have. It's in our Bibles. It's written anywhere about the event of the resurrection. Now, why did Paul write this letter to the Corinthian church 20 years after Jesus resurrected from the dead or so? Well, a few years before this, Paul had started a church in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys. Corinth was one of the great cities in the Roman Empire. It was on a great trade route. It was a large city. It was a metropolis. And he spent 18 months in Corinth, spending time trying to get this church started there. He loved the people there. He knew the names of the people. He was the one who had gotten this thing started. And though he had only been away from Corinth for a couple of years, he started to hear reports about trouble going on in that church in Corinth. Then he receives a letter from some of the Corinthian Christians that report to him the exact nature of the division and troubles that are happening in this church. This was a church in crisis. They're arguing over which leader that they were baptized by and which one they support most. Factions are growing in the church. There's sin that's growing rampant. There's a stepmother who's sleeping with a stepson, and they're proud of this sin, not even ashamed at all. Christians in the church are bringing lawsuits against one another. Marriages are on the rocks. And the worship service is a chaotic disaster. People are actually getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. Paul's letter attempts to address all of those matters. And for 14 chapters, he addresses issue after issue. Things he's heard about, things that they've written to him about. He's addressing their questions. But then he comes to chapter 15. And i got to tell you, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most important chapters in 1 Corinthians. But it's one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. And it's as relevant as it could ever be. It was relevant when I planned this series a couple of months ago, but it's even more relevant as we come to this moment uh, in our time with this pandemic that we're experiencing. So I want to read from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Listen to the word of of God read to us. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I, passed, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now what's Paul saying? He's saying, I'm about to remind you of the gospel in case you've forgotten it in the midst of the trouble the church is facing. What I'm about to share with you, Paul says, is of first importance. If you like to underline verses in your Bible... This would be a great place to underline beginning in verse 3 because this is the gospel in small format. It's one of the most important messages Paul ever wrote. Beginning in verse 3. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What's most important? What is the gospel? Simply this, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was resurrected. That's the gospel. That's the best news you'll ever receive in your entire life, even better than the news we'll get hopefully soon, that we can go back and hug each other and stop our social distancing. How do we know that Jesus was really raised from the dead? Well, Paul lays out the case. He says he appeared to people. He appeared to Cephas or or Peter. He appeared to the 12 disciples. Jesus appeared to more than 500 brothers or sisters. He says, look, some have fallen asleep, but a lot of these people are still alive. You can go ask them. They saw that Jesus died, and they actually saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus appeared to all the apostles, and then he appeared to Paul. Now, why is it a big deal that Jesus appeared to Paul? Because Paul used to be a guy named Saul before his name was changed. And Saul persecuted Christians who believed in the Messiah. But a couple of years after the resurrection, Paul has this vision, this appearance of Jesus on the road. And he sees Jesus, and his life is changed forever. Those six verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, are Paul's magnum opus. For 14 chapters, he's been given the Corinthians' advice. And now he's given them the gospel. Paul is a passionate voice, and we need his voice today. In fact, you need his voice right now in the midst of whatever struggles you're facing. So I want you to hear again from Paul as we drop down to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 and following. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now if Paul were to preach to us this morning in this context, I think he might say some of the same things, but I think it might sound something like this. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, or or has been raised from the dead, then why are you afraid? Remember, I wouldn't say it like this. I, I soften the blow sometimes, but this is Paul preaching. If Christ has been raised from the dead, what are you waiting on? If Christ has been raised from the dead, why are you saying that, some of you saying that Christ has not been raised? Let me put it to you straight, Paul would say. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. 
If Christ has not been raised, it doesn't matter how well you wash your hands. If Christ has not been raised, then what are you doing sitting on your couch singing songs this morning? If Christ has not been raised, then why are you listening to a preacher preach to an empty room of people on your television set or screen? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, then those who died will stay in the ground. If we just follow Jesus Christ because we claim he was a good man, people ought to pity us. But, but, Paul would say, Christ has been raised from the dead. I didn't hear enough amens to that this morning. I hope you said them in your living room. I want to say it again. Christ has been raised from the dead. He's alive. One day Christ is going to come back and he's going to put all of the enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to destroy, be, be destroyed will be death. Paul can preach. And he's just getting started. He gets so worked up in this chapter about the defeat of death that he starts pulling material out of a place that I would never do on an Easter Sunday like this. But since Paul goes there, then turn with me, if you would, to this bizarre chapter. Turn back to the book of Hosea, if you would. I'm sure a well-worn part of your Bible. It's actually a great story, the story of Hosea. And when we get to chapter 13, we're hearing from the prophet Hosea some harsh words about what's coming for Israel. In fact, the description at the top of this section in my Bible reads, The Lord's anger against Israel. That's what Paul draws on in this chapter about resurrection hundreds of years later. Again, Hosea is a book written 700 years before Paul writes 1 Corinthians. He's this Hebrew prophet who's letting them know because of their sin, trouble's about to occur. Listen to what Hosea says in Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, the second half. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? I will have no compassion, even though he thrives among his brothers. An east wind from the Lord will come, blowing in from the desert. His spring will fail and his well dry up. His storehouse will be plundered of all its treasures. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. Hosea is saying, look, your sin is going to result in your destruction. And the plea at the end of verse 14 that we started that reading with is, where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? Now, this is a little different than what we're used to hearing this phrase because we've read 1 Corinthians 15 before many of us. I'm going to read it in just a moment what Paul writes. But this is not some kind of taunt of death in Hosea 13. This is actually a request that death would come sooner. Saying, plagues, come on so that you can get rid of us because we don't want to be a part of this destruction. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Bring them on. Get it over with. Oh, grave, where is your destruction? Let it come. Destroy us already. Who preaches this stuff on Easter Sunday, by the way? But this is where Paul draws what he's about to say from. Again, this is Paul's sermon, not mine. I'm just the messenger. But Paul takes Hosea 13 and watch what he does with it. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying, remember the gospel that I preached to you. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus is resurrected. He was raised on the third day. The resurrection has altered the world so completely that Paul goes back to this message all the way back 700 years before in Hosea 13, a request for death to come, for destruction to come, for plague to come. And Paul twists it around and says, death, you don't have any power anymore. He taunts death. Where, oh death, is your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? Paul is so unafraid that he's able to look death in the face and taunt it knowing that it has no ultimate victory. And for the next 10 years of Paul's life, Paul will face death over and over again. And I have to wonder if this song becomes a song he comes back to. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just a little bit of what's going to occur to Paul over the years to come. These are a little bit of what he faced with death. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 24. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was pelted with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. And I wonder if in the midst of all those things, Paul's still taunting death. Shipwreck comes. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? He writes in 1 Philippians about whether I go on living or whether I go to die. Whatever it happens, I, I'm not afraid of death. Even the great enemy, death, is made powerless because of the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great passage. But the question this morning for all of us who are facing this pandemic is, what good news does that provide us in the midst of our days and tomorrows, and no matter how long this may be lasting? What message does this hold for those of us when the tomb is empty, but this room is still empty? How does Easter Easter speak to those of us who can't stand another week at home? Most years, I would say it's easier for me to connect with the Easter story than it is the Good Friday story. There have been Good Fridays where the year before have been hard, where there's been lament and grief in my life that maybe it's been easier to enter those moments, but I find that sometimes it's harder for me to enter into grief and lament than it is to celebrate. But this weekend, i got to confess, the cross was easier to connect with than a little bit of this feeling of resurrection. It's been a difficult month. It's been a long month. Many of you have lived through difficult times, but few of us have lived through anything like this. And yet, it's in times like these that Christians feel the need to often explain why a pandemic like this comes. Christians explained why 9-11 happened, after all. Why Hurricane Katrina happened. Perhaps you've already heard some explanations about why God sent COVID-19. Christians often mean well, but sometimes we do a lousy job of expressing it. One of the scriptures 
that people have often offered me in times of grief and tragedy and difficulty in my life has been a passage that's a great passage. It's one of my favorites, but sometimes it comes across rather harshly in a moment like this. So why not go there this morning in the midst of this difficulty? Romans 8, verse 28. Listen to this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. That's a great Bible verse, but sometimes I hear this Bible verse misused and it brings harm to people who are experiencing tragedy. There's a misconception out there that God is orchestrating every detail of our lives. Some believe that there's a reason that God's sending hurricanes and tornadoes and viruses that affect our world. That if it happened, God must have sent it. If a tragedy occurs in your life, some would say God made it happen to teach you a lesson. i got to tell you, I don't believe that. I don't believe the scriptures teach that. I don't believe God sent COVID-19 to us to send us some sort of message. In fact, John said in John 10.10, 10, the thief, this is Jesus actually who said this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I think it's the evil one who sends things like this in the world. Every scheme of the evil one cooks up to bring destruction. God's the one who has an opportunity to work for the good of those who love him. I don't believe God sent this virus. I believe it's proof that we live in a fallen world that still groans in longing for redemption. Here's what I think Romans 8.28 is trying to say. God isn't doing everything in the world, but God will do something with everything in the world. He can. And I think he's doing it in this moment. Again, every scheme the evil one cooks up to bring destruction gives God an opportunity to work for the good of those who love him. So think about the story of Easter. I imagine when the crucifixion happened, Satan believed that he had actually defeated God. What are you going to do once Jesus is dead and in the ground? Dead people stay dead. He believed he orchestrated the end of God's plan. He thought he'd outsmarted God. But the Easter story is proof that God can work good out of any situation, even death. Because you can't have a resurrection without a death. And I believe God's doing the very same thing in 2020 in the midst of this pandemic. The evil one understands that isolation is one of the greatest threats to human uh, health. And this virus has sent us into isolation. Social distancing. We're trying to do our best to love others by socially isolating ourselves. But Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Here's what I believe. God is using what the enemy meant for evil, and He's working something beautiful out of it. God is using this moment of social distancing to bring families together. God is using a moment of shelter-in-place orders to connect people across fractures in the world that have divided us for a long time. God is using this moment of social isolation to create community where there was little hunger for it. I can't wait for the first Sunday that this room is full again. Be able to give hugs again to all of you, to be able to hear what your time has been like and what your dreams are for the future, to engage in the mission of God that we talked about before we started this time. But while we wait, we are still family. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we are all brothers and sisters in Jesus 
Christ. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.